Join us. We're talking about Donovan Mitchell, potential trade of the Knicks. And the real question we've arrived at is would the Knicks actually be better, even if they get a good Donovan Mitchell trade, better than the Utah team that just decided to blow itself up? I'm not so sure. I do know, fastest growing show on Fox Sports Radio, audiences doubled in the last year plus. That's because of you. We're going to keep working extra hard to deliver a show worthy of spreading the word for and supporting. You can listen on foxsportsradio.com. Just go up there. It's streaming up there, all of the shows. Or you can go up there and find on the web, find where your local station is and listen to it that way. Here in Vegas on the Strip, 109 degrees, the neon is percolating. We've talked about the Utah Jazz listening to trade offers. The favorite to land them, a minus money favorite against the field, the New York Knicks at minus 125. And we're going to get into what they've got to potentially offer and what the Knicks would look like with Donovan Mitchell. Now, the question is, would they have to give up R.J. Barrett? There's a chance, a real chance they would have to. And if that were the case, the Knicks would be less than we're even going to assume because we're going to assume that they don't have to trade R.J. Barrett. So McKenzie, NBA expert, had a great year in the NBA. Over 300 picks, won over 57% of his picks. That is hard to do. I think it's got at least a little luck in there. But still, even with a little luck, it's impressive. Let's assume that R.J. Barrett stays with the Knicks. What does the trade look like, you think? I think it's going to be a lot of draft picks. The Knicks have eight tradable draft picks. They can trade up to four at one time. You maybe throw in Emmanuel quickly or Obi Toppin, one of their young players. But you hold on to Barrett. You hold on to Randall would be the goal. And your big three would be Brunson, Mitchell, and Randall at that point. Well, first off, Randall at his current contract, is he a positive asset or a negative asset? And by saying that, what I mean is let's look at Russell Westbrook. The theory is Westbrook is someone that's a negative asset. Now, is he a negative player? No, meaning he has value. He's better than a replacement player. But at his annual salary, it's not an asset. It's actually a liability. So Randall, you know, floated around the league, was with the Lakers, you know, hit or miss. Then he had a really good year, season before last. They signed him to, some say, an excessive contract. And he had a borderline disaster year this most recent year. Is Randall really something that you want to fight to hold on to? No, he's maybe slightly positive with his $24 million a year salary. But with that big salary, with that big uh, down drop in production, I think you're right. It's, it's, a, it's almost a net zero at that point. And, and, and if, you're going, if you're shooting the moon or whatever, maybe it's worth hoping he turns it around again. Is that $24 million? That's actually not horrible. I, I, was last year a lot more than that, or has that been the steady, has that been the steady amount over the course of the contract, or you know, generally? Last year was $29 million, so okay. for whatever okay. reason, it scaled down. Yeah. All right. So maybe a 24, you're right. Maybe a slight positive. Okay. That team that you envisioned, so who would the leaders of that team be again now? The Knicks, if they do make this Mitchell trade, and if they're able to somehow get over on Danny Ainge, which, again, Gobert versus Mitchell, who do you think has more market value? Mitchell. Now, he's a younger player. He, he's, okay. His contract was more controllable. Yeah, I think Mitchell's a better player. So, McKenzie, what you're proposing for the trade for Mitchell seems far less than what Minnesota paid for Gobert. 
Yeah, and Bill Simmons recently had his trade value column, and that was the debate, and he ended up saying Mitchell's significantly less valuable, and it's it's because Gobert, what he does is what you need on a championship team, whereas Mitchell, it's not it's harder so, to build a championship appara- roster appara- around a Hold on a second. Hold on a second. It's what you need on a championship team, except Gobert, by the analytics people, is considered like a wizard in the regular season. But somehow when the teams go small, he gets not run off the court, but becomes less of a uh, killer defensive player. He becomes more of a potential liability. I don't know if I believe that, but that's the narrative. And Utah's underperformance in the playoffs is clearly one of the drivers of them blowing themselves up. How can we say that Gobert, who has underperformed in the playoffs, is what you need on a championship team? Yes, it's a fair point. They need elite defense. Whether Gobert is able to re- replicate that in the playoffs, who's we haven't best, seen it Who's yet. the best defender in the NBA? Draymond Green, I would say right now. Yeah, be serious. Who's the best defender in the NBA? Rudy Gobert, it would be also up on that list. Yes, 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 yes. If you think Draymond Green is, I would would keep my 57% record and just never make another bet. (laughs) You know, and just say that's it. You can always just point to that. But we are straight out of Vegas. I'm RJ Bell talking with Mackenzie Rivers. NBA expert, at least up until that comment about Draymond Green. Now we got a question at all, <laughs> A.J. Hoffman. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the answer is. A guy like John Hallinger, Hollinger, who actually was a front office guy with the Grizzlies, and he invented PER, so an analytics guru, he thought Gobert the year before last was the MVP of the entire league. So it, there's a lot. The math guys love him. The old school guys are okay with them. The the new guys don't like them that aren't math guys because they usually don't care much about defense and they love small ball, etc. Where do you come down? I mean, apparently you're kind of in the naysayers with Gobert, right? I am. I, yeah, I think Rudy Gobert is a great defender, but I think he he does not play offense in a, like the way you need a modern big to play offense. Okay, so. I think there's disputes on who's more valuable. Let's call it a tie and say they're equally valuable, Mitchell and Gobert. Mackenzie, would you agree the package that you're projecting the Knicks to give is significantly less than what Gobert fetched? Yes. Okay, now some would say the T-Wolves overpaid. Most would say that. But let's even assume, so we're really giving all benefit to the Knicks here if they make this trade. We're saying they could pull off this trade, even though Danny Ainge is difficult to bamboozle, he's a tough trading partner, he's patient. Let's say the Knicks really pull one off here, okay? And again, Mitchell wants to go to New York. He's part of CAA. There's connections with CAA in New York and the front office there. He grew up in Connecticut. His father worked for the Mets. There's New York connections. There's a lot of motivation for Mitchell And the Jazz, to some degree, have to acknowledge that because if they traded him to a team that he wasn't crazy about, that team's getting a distressed asset in a way, right? So that even if there's not a no-trade clause, there is power with the player, especially in the day and age where you can just say, I'm not going to play seemingly, and everyone's okay with it. All right, so now, how good is that Knicks team? Assuming this trade goes super well, how good is this Knicks team? And let's compare them to Utah the most recent year. So a Knicks team built around Mitchell, Brunson, and Randall, I would project about two points better than an average team that's right around fifth seed in the East this year. So fifth, they they maybe get the fifth seed. This year, the fifth seed in the East. But typically, if you're in that range, you're going to be more in the playing range, right? That's what we discussed on the break. 
Like edge yeah. of playing or maybe the first, you know, sixth spot, which is the one lock seed. Yeah. Because the Nets would be above above average, and they were the seventh seed this year, which was an off year. But I, I think you're right. I think being in that play-in conversation right. is where I would put the Knicks. Yeah, just by by definition, if you're two points better than an average team, it means that an average team is going to be uh, right out of the playoffs. Your point, you know, two points better, so you're going to be a little bit better than that. It's you know not rocket science. In any given year, it might be different. Okay, what was Utah's? Uh, how's that compared to Utah this most recent year? Utah was three points better than an average team this most recent year. All right, and fifth seed. So, so they were, yeah, they ended up being the fifth seed in the East. They would power rate actually as the fourth seed. Okay, so now what we're saying is this, and this is the payoff. What we're saying is the Utah Jazz had something. They said we got to tear this down, tear this house down. Maybe keep the foundation, maybe don't. And the Knicks are saying, hey, we'll be part, we'll buy your stuff, we'll buy it. And the Knicks, if everything goes well, would be project with the trade, would be projected to be a worse team than the Utah team that's tearing itself down. Why yes. is that? Well, I, I know think something. The, uh, Go ahead, AJ. Oh, I was just saying, I think the Knicks are just that poor of a franchise, and they evaluate what they are differently than the rest of the world does. That's why they overpaid so much for Jalen Brunson, more than even the Mavericks wanted to pay. It, 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 it doesn't make sense what the Knicks are doing. I think that's why the Knicks are perpetually one of the worst franchises in the league. Well, first off, the Knicks have a different front office now. That, uh, you know, in the last, like, what, what's it been, McKenzie, two years? that the new the new regime is in and yeah leon rose has been there two years yep yeah so it's a situation where we can't really indict them for what the knicks did three years ago or five years ago i i think and let's be candid whenever there's going to be a player or an offer sheet or a two-team bidding war for a player one team's going to win one team's going to lose why would you say pay to eat more than even the dallas mavs would i mean they were the, the two teams going for him and one team won the bidding war are we sure that it was such an overpay yeah well from what everything i read the the, the knicks overpaid extremely for jalen brunson well how much did that da- do we know how much dallas offered relative to what the knicks offered we don't, and, okay. and apparently, well, at least it, I didn't see an official report of, of what the difference was. But apparently, it said that the, the Mavericks made a very fair market va- value offer, and the Knicks came over the top on it. Okay, so here's what I'll do: is this is I'll tell you. I think there's a couple reasons the Knicks are inclined to do this, and I think the first and main reason is the Knicks haven't been relevant. And the idea of even gaining relevancy. Look how excited they got when they had the one playoff series against Atlanta. It was exciting. And Madison Square Garden's rocking. And, you know, Stephen A. gets to come on and talk good about it. And so does Spike Lee. And you know what? Maybe that makes sense for him. Minnesota, in a weird way, hasn't been relevant. And maybe that's part of the reason right. they overpaid. Maybe the Knicks' goal was relevance, where Utah has been relevant and maybe spoiled with Stockton and Malone and all that relevance, and then relevance for a long time since. And they won a title because they didn't get one with Stockton and Malone. They haven't gotten one this century. So one team wants to be relevant. One team wants to be a title contender, even if it takes going backwards. <laughs> RJ, the, the Mavericks final offer was five years 110 million which is 22 per the Knicks paid four years 104 million 27 per so pretty much you know I mean a clear difference but not crazy 
<sighs> it feels like a pretty big difference. Really? Wow. Okay. So let's do this. I think I think we've really answered the Knicks question, and we'll see what ends up happening. But they want relevancy. It- Go ahead. And I do, I do think they're if they do this, they're going all in with that core, with that Barrett, Brunson, Mitchell core. Because according to Brian Windhorse, if the if the Jazz were to make this deal with the Knicks and not include R.J. Barrett, they could ask for up to all of the eight tradable picks that the Knicks have. So, McKenzie, I thought you said four was the max that they could trade. Yes, you can. You have to have at least one first round pick each uh, every other year. So most teams can only trade four at a time. But the Knicks have four in this upcoming draft, so they've got more than the average team is, is able to trade. Okay, exactly. good point. So there's a lot of potential picks, uh, and and they would have to have it if they don't trade. Obviously, Barrett. And let's be honest, Utah is they're looking to rebuild. I don't think Barrett's necessarily what they're looking for. So it might actually work out a team that's looking to go all picks. And if so, now what's interesting is Utah had a lot of their picks. Why didn't they trade and give up three or four first rounders and get another star in there? And now they would add three stars. But again, Danny Ainge, let's just leave it at that. When we come back, 